Good morning, everybody. Welcome back, Andrew. Andrew gets a mazel tov. Uh, his uh, son got engaged. Be'ezat Hashem. We be zoche too. Uh, here, Nachas and Simchas for all of Klal Yisrael. And we should have Yeshua's for all of Klal Yisrael. Refuas and Yeshua's uh, for everyone. Okay. So, Andrew, we didn't want you to um, get uh, shocked. So we started five lines. We could have finished Daf Men Vav. But we started five lines up from the bottom. Last word. Ikadami. See the Ikadami? So let me catch you up. Okay, we started the fifth parak, which is amazing. Amazing. And the fifth parak had um, a very interesting thing. It actually, the first Mishnah reflects the sheet of Sumkas, as we said yesterday, which is that Maman Hamutal Besafek Yachloku. Okay, that's the simplest way to say it. That when you have an inherent doubt uh, of wh- who owes who money, you split it such that, let's say you have a short tom that gores a cow and you find a fetus next to the cow. So the Mishnah says that, so normally you'd pay chatzin ezek and what we do is we pay chatzin ezek for the cow, which is interesting, nice, that's regular stuff, right? That's just regular tom uh, doing its thing and you pay for that. And then it says for the fetus, and now you have a double suffix, first of all, uh, well, not a double suffix. Uh, I shouldn't say it that way. You have the tam, which pays chatzinezek. That's not a suffix. That's just chatzinezek. But there is a suffix. There's one thing that we're not sure about, an inherent doubt, which is, was this fetus falling out next to the cow a product of the goring, in which case the owner of the, of the bull would be <coughs> liable for it, so you pay chatzinezek, or... Maybe there was a miscarriage that took place and the cow expelled this fetus prior to getting gored, in which case the fetus has nothing to do with the response, right? There's no responsibility on behalf of the owner of the, of the bull to pay for that fetus. And therefore, what do we do? Says Sumchus, it's a complete suffix. Nobody was there. There's no witnesses. Obviously, if they isolate the case uh, where there, we know that there never will be witnesses, as Barry pointed out, when there's no way to ever find out and it's like a real 50-50 split, so you don't pay chatzinezek for that fetus, you pay a quarter, okay? You split the difference and you pay a quarter. Then the Mishnah concluded with an unusual thing. It said, what if the cow actually gored the bull? Very unusual case. And then you see the fetus next to the cow, like same exact situation where you have a fetus next to the cow, but now what's happening is the, the, the cow is goring the bull, amazingly. Well, the Mishnah says there too, chatzin nezek from the body of the cow and a quarter of nezek from the body of the fetus. But that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? It, it only makes sense if, if you're paying for the injured cow and fetus. But if the cow and fetus are the ones that are causing the damage, then they're only paying chatzinezek for whatever they injured the bull. Where does the quarternezek from the fetus even come in? It's a very weird case. So Abaye, we're in the middle of an unusual situation of Abaye. He got turned into a pretzel and he started saying, oh, it has to do with Phil owns the, fet- the fetus, Barry owns the cow, and it has to do with first right, uh, that of who has the right to pay first because of the joint ownership. Does Andrew approach Phil first or can he just approach Barry first and get partial payment from Phil and partial payment from 
from Barry. That was the explanation of Abaye of what that case would be. That was the first explanation. Or an alternative version was Ika de Amri. Again, the last word in the fifth line up from the bottom. That even though the damaged party, in this case Andrew, as the bull, goes to the Balapara who's Barry first, uh, he still knows that Phil also has partial ownership of the fetus, Matzi Marchile, which means that Barry can deflect Andrew by saying, Damalei, made the Yadi under the shoot for Yisle, because um, even though, and it, the, 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 the first case before the Ikadami was that Andrew approached Phil first, knowing that he was partial owner in the fetus. The problem is uh, that in that case, Andrew is conceding that he knows that that uh, Phil's part, is owner of the fetus. However, in the case here where he's going to Barry directly, even in the Ikadamri, he says that even though Andrew goes to Barry before Phil, Barry could still say, you know Phil partially owns this, right? So go to him for the rest of the payment. And that's what the Mishnah is alluding to. Anyway, that's the end of, of Abaye's explanation of that last piece of the Mishnah. Why would the owner of the cow be split up at the half and a quarter? However, Rava throws the whole thing out. Watch this. Amar Rava, right? So as we, so second line up over here, from the bottom. Does the Mishnah say that Arba Benezek Vishmona Kenezek? That is is what? Look at the language of the Mishnah. Is that what it says? Does it say one quarter of the damage from the from the cow and one eighth of the damage from the offspring? No. In other words, that was the suggestion of that was the suggestion of Abaye that it's. That it's two, that it's one quarter plus another eighth, which is three eighths. It says Rava, the math doesn't add up. That's not the language of the Mishnah. Rather, the Mishnah says, says Rava, chati nezek or nezek katani. Right? Our Mishnah says that you pay half nezek from the cow and a quarter nezek from the calf. So the entire explanation of Abaye, says Rava, it doesn't even add up in the Mishnah. It's not in the words of the Mishnah. So this whole explanation of Rabaye, that it's partial, partial ownership, uh, or two owners, Phil and Barry, is making no sense. There's no such thing as one owner owning the fetus and one in the, uh, owning the cow, even though such a thing could exist. It does not uh, give us an, a shot in our Mishnah. Rather, says Rava, Ela'ama Rava, La'olam Bifarav No. The case is that Barry owns both the cow and the fetus. And what the Mishnah means to say is like this. If the cow is here, so then you're going to pay Chatzinezek. After all, as we arrive at right? if the cow is extant, right? If Barry's cow is available for payment, again, this is a very weird case where Barry's cow actually gored Andrew's bull. So if that cow is available to pay, so then Barry's going to pay Chatzinezek like a regular... Uh, mazik, right? However, lesap lepara. If the cow here is not around, okay, mishdam mervianezek mivlad. And in that case, right? Again, both the cow and the and the uh, both the cow and the fetus are right involved in the in in the goring. They both belong to Barry. If the cow, and we'll see in Rashi exactly what it means if the cow's not here. If the cow's not here, then we're going to pay from the value of the fetus. However, and here's the point of the Mishnah, only a quarter of the fetus is available to use for the payment of Andrew. Not a half, but a quarter. 
Why a quarter? Because we don't know if the fetus was inside the body of the cow at the time that the cow did the goring. If the fetus was already expelled prior to the goring, so then it's not part of the migufo of the cow, and therefore it is not eligible to be used as payment for Andrew's nezik. It was not involved in the nezik. Now, I know, Andrew, that a fetus is not participating in the goring, right? The fetus simply doesn't have the physical wherewithal to gore anything, let alone a bull. But if the fetus was still in the cow, as we will see, that means that the fetus was part of the cow at the time, and therefore its value, so to speak, can be used in, uh, right, in paying Andrew, right, me gufo, as a Tom does, in pay, its value can be used in paying Andrew, but of course, only if it was, in fact, part of the cow, but we don't know that, right? So that is a yachloku in the direction of where the fetus is part of the damaging animal. That's what the pshat of Rava is. Okay, just seeing that first Rashi on top, Lesa Lapar, what does it mean the part that's not here? It says Rashi, Vitam Ein Mishalam Elam Gufo, right, as we've said, right, the whole thing has to do with when you have, and just to reiterate a point that we've said in the past, that when you have a muad, you're only, you're, you're giving financial restitution. Like nobody cares about the cow or the, or, or the bull and its value or anything like that. You just pay back whatever you damaged. But we have a special din, a unique halacha of, of tam, where you pay from the goof of the animal. So that's where it matters whether the fetus indeed was part of the goof of the animal, right? So, reading in Rashi, Vlad. Right, the Iu Nami has gone by the para and says Rashi, the Rava Svirale the Khan Gufahu, the Achi the Havi Kechan Mevareha, right? That's what it's gonna explain soon in the Gemara, right? That the that the fetus is considered one of the Avarim, one of the one of the right limbs of the cow, and it is for that reason that we might include it in paying Andrew. So now the Gemara says Taima. The reason why you only get one quarter from the fetus is as we've just said. Because we don't know. Was the fetus inside Barry's cow at the time that it gored or not? But if we knew for sure that indeed Barry's cow was with child at the time that it gored Andrew's bull, right? then certainly the idea would be that you would pay the chatzinezek from the vlad. In other words, the value of the offspring would be um, eligible to use to pay the chatzinezek. And the Gemara points out that Rava Tamei, that Rava's idea here, his suggestion is consistent with what he says elsewhere. The Amar Rava, because Rava has the following sheet, the zika gove mi vlada. A pregnant cow that damages, you can, right, if Andrew, as the nizak, can in fact collect money from the value of said fetus, my time, what would be the reason? Gufahi. Because the fetus is part of the cow's body. However, in contrast, Tarnagolashizika, if Barry's chicken took down Andrew's bull, Andrew, your bull is a wimp, no offense. Barry's chicken is, could kill your bull. Ain't no govim sasa. If Barry's chicken killed Andrew's bull, you're not gonna be goive from an egg that was inside Barry's chicken at the time. Why? My taima, pirsha be'almahu. Because an egg, unlike a fetus that's considered one of the, you know, this is, we're getting into like chulin here. Right, guys? Like kashras. Uh, or uh, like is, is, uh, is a fetus, right? The fetus is fleshic, so to speak, right? It's part of the meat of the cow, as it were, right? It's part of the body of the cow. Whereas the egg can be parved. Right, it's it's pirsha be'almahu. It's 
it's not really part of the chicken. It's something that's expelled from the chicken, not considered part of its body. That's what, so that's an interesting idea, right? That whereas the, uh, right, whereas you could pay from the value of, so, so again, the fetus didn't do any goring, nor did the egg do any goring, but the fetus is considered part of the goring animal, right? As opposed to, so therefore you could use part of its value as the, right, in order to pay back Andrew, as opposed to the egg, which isn't considered part of the chicken, and therefore you would not be able to use, right, that aspect of the egg to pay Andrew. Is this clear, Barry? It's considered separate from it, right, like the Persian. Okay. Okay, eight lines down. Here we go. Let's go back to how you assess damages. Rava said, what are we talking about now? So Rashi's explaining. We're going back to the beginning of the Mishnah. Reisha Kai. Shor right? Let's go back to the beginning of this parak, right? So, so Barry's bull here. At this point, is doing guarding. Barry's the mazik in all these cases. So he's, he's, it's, it's attacking Andrew's cow, Vipila. Ain shaman right? Says Rashi. Sheolind mehanezek. Okay, so this is what happened. When we talk about Andrew, the value of Andrew's cow, right? So again, Barry's bull gores Andrew's cow, and there's a fetus involved. Well, do you determine the, fa- the value of the fetus and independently from the value of the cow? No. This is just teaching you a detail in how we determine the value, what kind of damage was done. What do you do? You don't. So let's read it inside again in the Gemara. You don't independently evaluate how much is a fetus worth in the meat market and how much is a cow worth in the meat market to determine the damages. No. Right? You assess them together. Because if you don't say this, you're going to cause, makhish means you're going to impair the mazik, in this case, Barry, by assessing the damages at a much higher rate. What does that mean? As follows. Obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, but I think once I say it, it'll be obvious. Uh, A fetus on its own has some value. Now, we're going to ask, why do we care about imposing such a penalty on Barry? Like, he's a mazik. Maybe, maybe we don't care about him having to pay more to Andrew. But it, it is clear, and you can understand this from kosher money, Andrew, that if you have, if you buy a cow and a fetus together, it's going to be cheaper than buying each one individually. Usually when you buy a package deal, it's a lower price. Therefore, if you're going to assess how much damage was done to a dead cow and a dead fetus, right, you don't evaluate them independently. You evaluate them as if how much they would have been worth if the cow and the fetus were one, right? And then that's the ultimate amount of value. Don't forget, when Andrew let this cow out into the field, the cow, the pregnant cow was whatever the value of a pregnant cow is, which presumably is worth a little bit more than a non-pregnant cow, right? A single cow. Uh, the pregnant cow is worth more. It's got more meat, as, right? It's got more fat. It's got an Uber in there, which is another piece of meat. So it's got, it's definitely worth a little bit more. It's wider, it's fatter, it's got more everything on it. It's got more hide, by the way, right? Because the, the hide is distended 
uh, in order to accommodate the fetus. So it's a more valuable cow. But you don't take the cow and the fetus separately because that's too much. That's not fair, so to speak, to make Barry pay that separately. That's like a higher retail uh, amount than, than, uh, than Barry really actually injured, okay? That's what the, that's what the Rav is saying now. And he continues by saying like this, There are other parallels to this, right? So for example, uh, a person, right, uh, hacks off a hand, um, again, it's going to be a little bit weird, but Barry hacks off the hand of Andrew's slave. So, okay, so Barry has to pay Andrew for the damage that, that he did. So the question is, how much would the slave get in the slave market with both of his arms? Uh, how much would he get in the slave market with one of his hands missing? There is a definite difference in value, and that difference Barry certainly would have to pay. But Barry does not have to pay uh, what the value that they would say when, if you said to Andrew, how much would you pay me to not chop off your, your arm, right? That is a much higher value, right? So that Barry does not have to pay. Similarly, and we've seen this, right? When you're mazik a, a fellow's field, right? Um, you don't say, right? As Rashi, Rashi goes through these cases, right? So if you, we've already had that case, right? You eat like one of the flower beds. So you don't say how much would this flower bed, uh, you know, sell for in the nursery. You evaluate the entire sada. How much is it worth with the flower bed? How much is it worth without that particular flower bed? That's a, much different, right? The drop off in the value of the overall field in a giant field of flower beds is not as great as how much you would sell that fl- that full flower bed, right? In trade in um, in Trader Joe's, right? That obviously individually they would all cost a lot more. So we take the overall value. We don't take the individual itemized value, right? The lesser value, fine. So that's Rava's halacha. It applies to flower beds. It applies to limbs of slaves, and it applies to a fetus and a cow. So Rava's son said to Ravashi, but if in fact that's the halacha, right? So if you're going to say, what's the idino? It means if you're going to say that technically, right, Andrew's entitled for compensation for the cow and the fetus, if that's the halacha, so then why do we care? That, Andrew, that Barry has to pay a premium by paying for everything individually. Let him be impaired. After all, there's a difference between the arm of the slave. Unlike the arm of a slave, the fetus of a cow is, a, is indeed, in fact, a separate entity, right? So you can't really say that it's the same thing. How much would you pay to keep your fetus? You're not going to keep your fetus long-term anyways, right? For how much would you pay to keep your arm is a totally different thing. So maybe Barry should indeed pay individually, right? The fetus is coming out at some point anyways. It's not like a, uh, even a flower bed in a field. It's not really uh, uh, definitionally something that's separate from the field, right? So therefore, those, that parallel says um, Rava's son, right? Teravashi, those parallels, I don't know. I don't know if they really add up. After all, the fetus isn't part of the, of the para. So why isn't Barry paying Andrew itemized, in an itemized fashion? Right, Barry? So Ravashi answers, Mishum Darmalei, because Barry could tell Andrew, Parama Abarta Azikotach, Parama Abarta Shayimina Lach. 
listen, I damaged your pregnant cow. I'll assess the damages based on how much that the value of that pregnant cow was reduced. In other words, and there's more lambdas here than we have time to discuss, but, right, it's a little bit of a back and forth, like is the uh, fetus inside a cow a separate entity or is it the same entity? So we see a little bit of a tension here, right? On one hand, it's considered part of its meat. After all, right, even if it's in the cow when it damages, it's considered part of the cow, right? So it is some ways part of the cow. In other ways, it's going to be expelled. And so it's a separate entity. So which is it? So it's, it's a little hard to tell. There's two ways of looking at it. Either it's unlike the hand of an Evid, and certainly it's not the same as part of the cow. Or maybe you could say, as Barry would like to say, as the damager in this case, that it is part, that it is part of the cow, and therefore, hey, my bull gored your pregnant cow. I'm going to pay for the damages of the pregnant cow. We're not going to start taking all the different elements of the cow, not even the fetus, and itemizing them. That is not what I came here to do. Don't forget, if the fetus had already been expelled before the cow was gored, then Barry's not going to pay for the cow, he's not going to pay for the fetus altogether, right? Because it wasn't even involved in the incident, right? So Barry's saying, if the, if the fetus was already expelled, I don't owe you anything. If the fetus was still in your cow, so then it's part of the cow. And what I gored was a pregnant cow. I didn't gore two itemized things. You're not, you're not, you're not going to start itemizing my bill, Andrew. All right, uh, finishing up before the Mishnah, the Gemara wants to say, which aspects of said pregnant cow are belonging to the uh, owner of the cow and which are belonging to the owner of the fetus? So let's go back to the case. Uh, in this case, we're going to set up the following. Andrew owns the cow. Only Andrew would do this. He sells the, the rights to the fetus to fill. Okay. He figures Phil's a meat guy. He probably wants some fetus. Who knows? That's as a delicacy, okay? All right, so let's say you have this joint ownership. Says the Gemara. Pshita. Par dechad vivlad dechad. Now Andrew owns the cow and Phil owns the fetus. Pitma leval par. So what's going to happen is subsequent to Andrew and Phil making this agreement, here comes Barry's bull and everything goes sideways. And the cow and the fetus are now both, right, have to be compensated for. Okay. Now, when Andrew sold the fetus to, uh, to Phil, the, Andrew's cow was with child, right? So all of that's true. But now we got to figure out, right, who owns what? Well, what do you mean who owns what? Andrew owns the cow and, bear, and, and Phil owns the fetus. No, there's more to it than that. Because there's something called pitma. Pitma is the fattening of the cow. Don't forget, Andrew's cow is pregnant. That means Andrew's cow is fatter. Andrew's cow is meatier. It's fattier. So the, the fat and all that, well, Andrew owns the cow. That should all belong to Andrew. However, nifchamai. What about the expansion of the body? What about like the extra hide? Would you say that Phil kind of gets some compensation for that because his fetus uh, was kind of a causative factor in, in your cow getting that much bigger, Andrew? So two opinions. Rav Papa Amar Labal Rav Papa says that Andrew owns that stuff. Yeah, because it's all part of the cow, not part of the fetus. However, Rav Acha Bredavika Amar Cholkin. Rav Acha says, that that compensation is divided by Andrew and Phil. 
And in fact, wow, and Allah is like that we're not 100% sure. It's partially uh, going to be the cows, but unlike the added weight, right, the actual expansion is uh, in part produced by Phil's, now Phil's fetus, right? That's partially responsible. Apparently, the fattening of the cow is entirely Andrew, Andrew's possessions, but the some other aspects, what we call, right, the nifcha, the extra surface area and all that, is partially Phil's, and that is indeed how we poskin. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Um, the uh, Tosvos, second to last Tosvos, discusses why it's the difference. Um, it's a little bit, a little bit uh, more like the Hacha Kevin Shabal Hapara says Tosvos Yocholimcha Paraso Belovlad Nimshuk Semasido Mafsid Komashu Demei Nefchas. Right. Uh, I don't know if this is for us to get into how they came across this calculus of the Nifcha versus the right. Nifcha versus other other uh, other aspects of the cow and the fetus, but be, leave it leave it for this to say, right, that we're going to we're going to split it up as Ravachabrayavika suggested. Okay, so Andrew, you could sell the fetus to Phil. Let's see how it goes. Now, Mishnah, Memzayin Amidalf, Hakadosh Yichnis Kederos of the Chater Balabayshilovershus. Okay, now we're really back into Hezek Bavakama of Rishuyos and all of this. We've already seen this, uh, this Mishnah quoted. So this is going to be copy-paste. This is going to be easy. All right, who's going to be the Balachatzer? Andrew. Andrew, you got the stuff. You are a, and, and Barry's going to be the potter. Okay, Barry Potter. Okay, so if Barry brings his pots into Andrew's backyard, why is he bringing it into Andrew's backyard? Nobody knows. And he's doing so unannounced. So this is weird behavior, Barry. But Barry brings his his pots to Andrew's house. Shalabrishos with that permission. So now if Andrew's dog, right, breaks all of Barry's pots, potter, right? Andrew's gonna be potter. Because after all, he had no idea. Andrew had no idea that Barry's pots was coming. And if Andrew's dog gets damaged through the pots, then of course Barry's gonna be liable to pay for damage because after all. Again, nobody, he came unannounced and his, right, pots are um, mamon shehizik, right? It's nezek mamon, like a boar, perhaps. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, by placing, right, your stuff in Andrew's property, you created a boar in his property, uh, Barry, and you're going to be chayev, you know, to pay for that damage. Okay. V'him ichnis b'shus, however, if Barry brings in the pots, and he calls ahead of time. He says, can I put my pots in your backyard? So, and, and Andrew, as he always would say, he would never say no. He says, of course. Then, if that, then, then what? Then Andrew's chayv. Andrew's chayv for what? What, 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 is he, what is he chayv for? So we're going to see what manner of breakage of the pots you'd be chayv for. Presumably what's happening is that Andrew's dog, right? Andrew gives Barry permission to put his pots in his backyard, and then Andrew's dog goes and breaks the pots, Andrew will be chayv. That's what it seems to, to be talking about. Okay, so that's pots. What about fruit? Right, so now Barry puts his peaches in Andrew's backyard, never t- said anything to anyone. Of course, the dog eats all the peaches. Potter. Uh, Andrew's potter. Right, and if somehow, 
We'll see how. Andrew's dog gets harmed by the peaches. Balach peros chayv. Barry's going to be chayv because he brought in the peaches unannounced. But if he brought the, with permission, says, can I put my peaches in your backyard, Andrew? Balach chayv. Again, we're going to see what the case is. Andrew's going to be chayv if somehow, right, he caused damage to those peaches. And the third case, Barry's bull. <laughs> Barry says, can you babysit my bull? However, he didn't ask. Shalom, Bershus. Right, as we turn to Menzayin Rebbeis, if Barry does not ask for Rishus, so of course, Andrew wakes up in the morning to a commotion, and sure enough, Barry's bull is wreaking havoc. Right? So again, if you do it without permission, and Andrew's bull, right, uh, mauls Barry's bull in this case, or Andrew's dog, Right, bites it, potter. Then Andrew's potter, because after all, this bull came unannounced. However, if Barry's bull starts goring, right, the shore of Andrew, chayv, then of course, Barry's going to be chayv because he brought in this raging bull unannounced. Okay. Now, Barry's bull falls into Andrew's cistern, and now nobody wants to drink the water, chayv, right? So the water loses value. And for that, now Barry's going to have to buy them new water. Somebody's in the cistern. Some, uh, some calamity happens. Then, Then this is an unusual case here where Barry's going to have to pay, not Barry, this is, uh, that would be a terrible case and nobody would even want to be involved in such a case, but whoever brought a bull unannounced into Andrew's house is is going to have to pay a kofar. The Gemara is going to ask, why kofar? Isn't this a tom? What's actually going on? Rashi already brings it up because he can't believe that the mission is saying this. But we'll anal- analyze that soon enough. Be that as it may, says the Mishnah, of course, if Barry brings the bull with full permission, then, and we're going to analyze this at great length in the Gemara, if Andrew grants permission he's going to be chayef for certain things. We're going to see what he's going to be chayef for. But I'm going to give a little bit of a way. Once Andrew grants permission, he takes a certain amount of responsibility. How much responsibility he takes on for what Barry does is a machlokas. But Andrew does take on a modicum of responsibility when he grants Barry permission to bring his raging bull into his backyard. Okay? Leave that for now. We're going to see already in the Mishnah machlokas. Because Rabbi... And this is a, this is a muad? No. It, it, it seems clear, and we'll see in the Gemara that this is talking about a Tom. Okay? So Andrew's not taking responsibility for a Tom, for a Muad. He's taking responsibility for a Tom. So why should he be responsible? He doesn't expect anything to happen. Right. So Barry wants to know if Andrew is just saying, you know, Barry's saying, can my placid, beautifully behaved shore come hang out in your backyard? I'm going to Scranton for Shabbos. So Andrew would never say no. He says, of course. So Barry says, why is Andrew responsible for anything? Right? Everybody thought that this was a... Andrew wouldn't, wouldn't have to take on responsibility for unusual behavior of a placid bull. Right? Why is he responsible for that? So you know who agrees with you, Barry? Rebbe. Rebbe Omer, the Mishnah concludes, Yeah. Andrew isn't responsible for any of this. He's just doing Barry a favor. Unless Andrew explicitly uh, accepts Achrayas, 
right? Andrew uh, takes on Noah Chryas unless he does so explicitly. So you're in good company, Barry. Rebbe agrees with you. Question is, why would the Tanakama, uh, what exactly is the Tanakama playing at? Why would Andrew be high for any of it? Is there some sort of implicit thing that's going on? So let's see. That's what we want. That's, literally, you segued into what we're going to be dis- discussing for the rest of the daf. Says the Gemara. Taima. Okay, let's go back to the first case of the Mishnah. Barry Potter. Why is Barry Chayev to pay for damage that, that Potts caused to Andrew's dog? The Shalobershus. Because he put his pots in there without any permission. Habershus. But if he had asked Andrew, can I put my pots here? Barry is not chayev for whatever damage his pots caused to Andrew's dog. right? And we don't say that by requesting permission to bring in your pots, that what? That Barry, who's the owner of the pots, accepted responsibility for for guarding Andrew's dog. In other words, this is an interesting idea, right? In other words, this is a fascinating question that the Gemara wants to know. When Andrew, right, granted permission to Barry, right, or Barry requested permission from Andrew, can I bring your pots in? Do you say that Barry accepts responsibility for whatever his pots do? It sounds like not, right? Right? It sounds like once he gets permission, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if his pots caused any damage. Now, why would that be? In other words, what do I mean? Just because Barry has permission, does that mean that like anything that happens, all of a sudden, Barry gets a free pass? Mani, where do we learn? Whose opinion is that? Says the Gemara, Rebihi, the Amar. So the, the Gemara is being a little, um, it, it's, it's really reading a lot into the first part of the Mishnah, right? The Gemara is saying, it's, is it possible to make the following inference in the Mishnah? That's what Gemara is saying. Is it possible to say that, that when, that, that, that in fact, there's no responsibility, right? Uh, that, that Barry has a responsibility when, once he brings in his pots? Says the Gemara, Rebihi, the Amar. Yeah, it sounds like this first clause of the Mishnah is the opinion of Rebbe. Why? Again, because Rebbe made, Rebbe's like Barry. He made the following blanket statement that Andrew's doing Barry a favor as long as Andrew, right, does not, right, as long as Andrew's doing Barry a favor, he's saying, he's not saying anything explicitly about taking a chryas, and it can be assumed, according to Rebbe, that Andrew takes no chryas, right? That could be assumed, which is to say, if Barry puts the pots in to Andrew's place, so then he's going to, right, Andrew's not going to be responsible for anything, right? Um, okay, so again, the Gemara is saying, we don't say that Barry uh, is, is accepting responsibility for guarding the animal. So is that like Rebbe? Why is that like Rebbe? The Amar, because Rebbe said at the end of the Mishnah, call Bistama, any situation where you don't, you just, you're doing someone a favor, right? There's mutual consent, but nobody says who's a chrai for anything. Nobody says who's going to take responsibility, right? Because very often this happens, right, Andrew? This is why you write contracts. You have to sometimes write a contract in order to spell out. It's uncomfortable in the moment. But like when Barry asks you for a favor, can I put my pots in your, in your, uh, <coughs> see, this is, 
people are going to accuse Andrew of being uptight about this, but he's just trying to be upfront, right? When Barry wants to put the pots in your backyard, Andrew says, that's fine. Just let's draw a contract. Who's going to be responsible if my dog gets hurt or if my dog damages your pots? Let's draw this up. Barry says, why are you being so uptight? Just... Just do me a favor, put the pots. I don't have time for this. I'm going to Scranton. But Andrew says, yeah, but who's going to be responsible? So Rebbe says, right, the premise of Rebbe is anytime you have this kind of arrangement, then automatically you're not taking a chryas for guarding anybody else's stuff. So is that the blanket idea of Rebbe? That Barry's not chayev, Andrew's not chayev, nobody's going to be chayev, right, uh, if... In, in the case where there's Rishus. That's what, the, that's what the, the Gemara is trying to say. The problem is, if you make that inference in the Mishnah, then didn't Rebbe already disagree with that? In other words, if you're going to make that inference in the first part of the Mishnah, then who's the author of the first part of the Mishnah? We have Rabbanon and Rebbe. It's Rebbe's shita that when you're making a casual agreement that nobody has a chryas for if in case everything happens in both directions. But the Gemara asks, Ema Seifa. Then the next thing in the Seifa says, Hichnes Rishus, Balachatz Achayev. But we say later in the Mishnah, so first of all, we're going to attack that assumption that this is Rebbe, right? That this inference in the, Mish- in the first part of the Mishnah is Rebbe by pointing out the rest of the Mishnah, which obviously implies, not like Rebbe, because later on we say that if Barry brought in his pots with permission, then Andrew is going to be Chayev. Right? That sounds like the opinion of Rabbanan, that say, that even when it's stama. Stama means casual, right? Nobody specified who's a chryas. We didn't have a contract. We tried to do it like friends. Uh, the abundance position is that if you try to do it like friends, that still, if something goes sideways, right, certainly somebody's going to have to accept a chryas for it. Somebody's going to have to t- uh, pay for that, right? So what are you going to say? That the first clause of the Mishnah is reflection of both the opinion of Rebbe and the Rabbanon. That doesn't make any sense. That's first problem by saying that the first clause is applying, um, implies Rebbe. Vesu, another problem is, If you look at the end of the Mishnah, obviously, Rebbe's obviously descending, uh, dissenting, right? He disagrees with this idea. He's of the opinion that nobody's high for anything unless we explicitly take on a Christ. So Rashi of a safer Rebbe and Tzias are abundance. What are you going to say? The first clause of the Mishnah is Rebbe, um, and then the second clause is Rabbanon, and then the third clause is Rebbe again. That's not how. That doesn't make any sense for the Mishnah to be structured that way. So Amir Abzeira Tavra. Abzeira says we're going to go with the Rashi's explanation of what Tavra here means. It means like broken, like self-contradictory. That the Mishnah is indeed self-contradictory. Misha Shanazu Lo Shanazu. It's a Mishnah stitched stitch together with different opinions. It's like a patchwork Mishnah. The first part's Rebbe, the last part's Rebbe, the middle is Rabbanon. Rava, as Rava does, has a simpler explanation that goes all the way through. So let's see what Rava says. Rava Amar Kulo Rabbanani. Rava coming to save the day again. The whole Mishnah is reflecting Rabbanon. Again, very simple, Matt, that, you know, friends, friends sometimes just do a casual arrangement, right? Barry wants to keep his pots in Andrew's, in Andrew's backyard. So they didn't talk about what would happen in the case of eventuality. Like, they're just being friends, right? You don't start writing a contract every single day. So Rebbe's of the opinion, nobody takes a Christ for anything. If it goes sideways, like, like if something happens, that's just part of being friends and you let it go, right? However, that's not what their abundance say. Rebbe says, Kula Rebbe everything 
right, is the Rabbanon, where somebody's going to have to pay if damages are implied, Uvir Shus. And it's the case where, again, Barry did get permission from Andrew to put his pots there. And what does the Mishnah mean? Shmiras Kederas Kibalav Balachatzer. That what happened was that when Andrew, who has the right backyard, agreed to guard the pots of Barry, he took on implicitly the responsibility for guarding those pots and protecting them from damage and even paying for whatever ha- damage happens to the pots. That is implied even in their casual agreement. And it doesn't matter how the pots got broken. Even if the pots got broken by a wind that came by, right? Meaning it wouldn't matter. That implied, again, Rabbanon say somebody's paying for this. Somebody takes a chryas. So Rabbanon are more uh, serious about this. They're not casual. They're saying, Andrew, implied in his willingness to let you put the pots in, part of the favor is if anything happens to the pots, Andrew's indeed going to pay you for that. That does not have to, that, and, and again, but you separate it out, right? They're not codependent. That doesn't mean that the Barry has responsibility if the pots do anything, right? Meaning, right, Barry, in contrast, doesn't, doesn't accept responsibility. It's really a, a really, it's a, what we call a real favor, right? If Andrew's dog get, gets injured by Barry's pots, it doesn't mean that Barry has to pay. That's a different thing, Right? So this seeming contradiction in the Mishnah was uh, uh, introduced by a little bit of too literal of an inference that we thought, oh, maybe taking on respons- part- it's taking on partial responsibility, it's not taking on all, maybe this part of the Mishnah is referring to Rabbi. No, it just means that when Andrew does Barry a favor, it's a real one-sided actual favor. I'm watching your pots. If something happens to the pots, I'll pay you for it. That's very nice of you, Andrew. But if the pots cause damage, then there's nothing Barry could have done because that he had no idea it was going to happen. That's also on Andrew. It's a real a nice of you, Andrew. Okay, that's the explanation of Rava in our Mishnah. Okay, now we're the two dots. Yichlis Peirosov, the last skinny line. What's going? What's going to happen here? Fruit. Amarav Lashon Elashuchlokaben. What would be the case with the fruit? We're saying Barry brings in peaches unannounced to Andrew's backyard. Now Andrew's dog. Uh, gets damaged. And Barry has to pay for it. Says Rav, that's only if Andrew's dog slips on the peaches. Aval Achla, if Andrew's dog eats a whole basket of peaches and gets, like, dies from diarrhea, putter, then Andrew, then Barry's going to be putter. Why? My taima? Havala shalatochal. Yeah, Andrew's dog should not have eaten it. Rashi, uh, well, the, the art school cohorts of the rush here, it's a very interesting idea. Achla, right? You see, the, first of all, Rashi, Yotermi Daiva Mesa. Right, Andrew, your dog eat, ate too many peaches and died from diarrhea. So now, the question is: Who is Andrew? Is Barry going to be high of there for, for bringing the peaches? The rush explains there is no mazik here. Andrew's dog injured <coughs> itself. There is no moment of mazik. Wow. So that's Rav's shita that it's the Andrew's going is the Barry's only going to be high for bringing in his peaches unannounced. Even though it's unannounced, he's only going to be high if, if the injury somehow physically happens from the peach, but not from. Andrew's dog ingesting it. Um, one of these severe languages that the rabbis sometimes say, he thinks Rav was sleeping when he said this, otherwise he would have never said this. He, he, he was like sleep talking. Why? Wow. So he, meaning he thinks that this is ridiculous. The Tanya, 
Why? Because we have a b'risa that says a different thing. What does the b'risa say? Okay, that's very sinister. Okay. Uh, Barry hates Andrew's dog, so he puts poison in front of it, right? Uh, Baloney with antifreeze, for those of you who get the reference. So, Potter Medine Adam. In that case, Barry's never going to have to be chayev for that. That's a fascinating thing, right? Because it's a very weird thing. Barry puts baloney with antifreeze in Andrew's backyard, knowing that Andrew's horrible dog that he hates is going to eat it and die. Barry doesn't have to pay for it. In other words, you can't take him to Besden, even though we all know that Barry did it, because Barry didn't physically injure it. After all, the only way that Andrew's dog could have done it, could have died, was by Andrew's dog voluntarily eating this thing. But of course, you're going to, he's going to eat it. Who can, have you ever seen a dog resist baloney? It's never going to happen. So says the Gemara, right? Yeah, so Hashem knows. And so uh, we can't take you to court because Andrew's dog ate it voluntarily, but it's not a good thing to do. Right? So says the Brysa, Rav Shesh is pointing out, in that Brysa, that's poison. Because the animals don't usually eat poison. The inference is, but fruit, maybe when it comes to fruit, right, Barry would be actually chayev because that's something that you can expect um, the dog to eat. The amai, according to Rav, havala shalotochal. If it's true what Rav is saying, that any time an animal eats it, right, that Barry is not going to be chayev if, so long as Andrew's dog eats it voluntarily. So then that wouldn't be the case. That would this <coughs> idea, whole idea of the baloney antifreeze, that inference that we learned from that wouldn't work. However, the Gemara says, Amri, that's not really the case. Yeah, of course. In other words, the cases aren't so different. This inference is a straw man argument, Barry. The inference was, again, that's only because it's poison, right, that you're going to be chayv bedine, right, that you're not going to be chayv bedine adam. But, but I could say the opposite, says the Gemara. That even by Peros, you're going to be chayv. That I feel Peros nami, Potter medine adam. Right, that with Peros, you're going to be Potter from Dine Adam. The Kiddush is not, <laughs> the Kiddush with the poison baloney is not that you're going to be Potter Bedine Adam. The, the Kiddush is that you're going to be Chayav Bedine Shemaim. That even when you have poison, where an animal doesn't usually eat it, the Kiddush is there that there's any culpability at all. Right? That's the Kiddush. Because, because maybe because the animal typically doesn't eat it, we're flipping the argument on its head and saying because Andrew's animal doesn't typically eat it, maybe you shouldn't even be chay of bedina shemaim. The, the chiddush of the Bryce is that in the case of poison, you would be chay of bedina shemaim. But in the case of peros, you wouldn't be chay of not bedina adam or bedina shemaim because that's just fruit that Andrew is, that's delicious and Andrew's dog is eating voluntarily. Be Sema or another answer to reconcile the Bryce, uh, would be sam hamavas nami ba that we're talking with some of us is Afrazasa, which uh, Rashi explains is an, uh, it's, uh, some sort of herb that an animal eats, but it's okay. It's not actual poison, but it is poisonous to the animal, the Hainu Peri, which is a type of uh, produce that's poisonous. So the, what the Bryce is trying to say, that even though the animal is expected to eat it, the person, Barry, putting it there is exempt, Medine Adam, because that's what Ruff says, an animal that eats it on its own initiative is always going to be Chayev. So we resume tomorrow, eight, in the two dots, eight lines down in the wide, on Memzayin Abed Bez, Bezat Hashem.